Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Yes, hello, everybody. Uh, last time I spoke, Kim was also doing announcements, and we missed the mic handoff twice. Last night, we missed it again. So this was a moment for all of us that we got it. Uh, is anybody tired? Yeah? Stayed up and even went to the game, watched the game? I woke my wife up at midnight. I was like, they're tied. She was like, okay. And then like, I tried to go to sleep. She was like, what are you thinking about? I was like, the game. Uh, I left here, I spoke last night, left here immediately, I assistant coached my son's football team. So we got a W before CU even played. So I went over there right out of here during their game, we won that, almost lost my voice, CU plays. I'm hoping to lose my, my voice fully by the end of this message. The Bills and the Broncos are both playing, I love both teams, but I won't have a voice for it and that's fine. Um, okay, let's not have any Bills slander in the room, thank you. Uh, hey listen, uh, before I get into the message, I get to announce our night of worship one more time. It's coming this Wednesday. How about worship today, guys? How about it? I love our worship team. I am so grateful to get to lead. I'm the lead worship pastor. My name is JJ. I'm the lead worship pastor here at the church. And uh, that group of people is some of my favorite people in the whole world. And man, the Lord is so good. And us getting to just lift him up. Where else would you want to be? Seriously, where else would you want to be? That's right. Uh, we're doing a, sur or anyway, Wednesday, sorry, I got so excited about worship, I forgot that I'm telling you, this Wednesday, the 20th at 6 p.m., right here in this room, we're going to have a worship night. And somebody right before I came up here said this to me as a word to me, but I'm saying this because I was feeling the same thing for the whole room. During God of Revival, she got a word and told me, pray for revival in yourself if you want to see revival in the city. I want revival for all of us inside of ourselves, and that the revival in the city starts right here in this place. The only way that that happens is that where we're going today in the message is a huge piece of this individually with the Lord. But corporately, we come together. We chase after what God has. I'm not inviting you so that you come see us up on stage and fill the room with people so that we feel good about anything. I'm inviting you because I want every single one of us to taste and see the goodness of who he is and what he has for every single one of us and that we just keep lifting him up. Amen? So Wednesday night, there is no NFL game on a Wednesday night so that you have no excuse. It's fall, what else are you gonna do? Buy pumpkins? Anyway, here we go. We're in a series on prayer, and a few months back when Pastor John assigned me to get to speak one of the messages on prayer, I got so excited that I pretty much wrote my message all the way back then. I've, I've been so excited, and the Holy Spirit's been filling in the pieces all the way up until yesterday when I was doing the message, which I'm grateful for, but it's very different speaking than doing worship because I don't have to be here as early. We show up here on the worship team at one o'clock on Saturdays. I didn't have to be here till 3.30 yesterday. And so I woke up as I do before 5 a.m. every day and then paced around my house for hours waiting to get here so I could speak the message. And fortunately, it's a morning message today, so I only had to do like six hours of pacing before the rest of my family woke up and we got to come back and do this again. But I'm so excited because my heart and my desire in what the Lord has given me both in my life to share, but also for this message for every single person in this room, is that I am here because I want to stir up a place in our lives that can be very easy to lay back into. Praying can become so rote. We pray the same thing every day, right? Have the same memorized prayer that I'm going to pray over my family, over my situation, over my life. It's 30 years that I've been praying the exact same thing to God over and over and over instead of engaging in the presence of who he is in every moment. I tell my worship team every weekend, what is God doing right now today? Not even on Sunday, but right now on this Saturday. What is he doing in the room right now that we are worshiping him in and about right now? And why do I not enter into my own time of prayer that way? in every moment that I get with him, which is all of the time. He's always the one waiting for me. The Holy Spirit said to me last week when I was working on this message, <clears throat> your kids are not good at spending time with you. They don't show up with a bunch of stuff that they pre-planned. Normally, I can't figure out what game we're playing that they all know. Or yesterday, my daughter, who's in the room, who's four, Right before we're gonna leave for church, I've been pacing all day and finally we're about to get in the car and we have like 20 minutes. She's like, can you come play in the basement with me? I was like, yeah, let's go. She's like, let's play that you're a lion and I ride on your back and you attack my brothers. And I was like, okay, let's do it. But I had this vision when I was preparing the message that the Holy Spirit gave me this week. And it's very simple, 
But I think there's something to it for every person in the room to prepare yourself right now for what I'm about to share with you, that the Holy Spirit wants to share with you. And it's that every single one of us have a door right in front of our hearts on our chest. And the doors, I could see it, all the people in the room, and they were all beautifully painted. And as this message was going on, and really why I'm here is to inspire something between you and him, not what I'm telling you to do. But the doors all opened into ourselves. And so often in our faith, I think we try to open the doors out to the Lord that we're doing enough or getting somewhere or inviting him into something he already knows and is a part of. But it's our engagement with him that gets us anywhere with him, right? So as I share this, and as maybe I take an approach at prayer that mixes it up a little bit, I keep thinking about the song, Make Room, Shake Up the Ground of All My Religion, Break Down the Walls of All My Tradition. I'm here to mess with the tradition you've ended up in maybe in your prayer life or the religious mindset that we take in our prayer lives, in our connection with the Lord. And I'm not coming after you because what I'm about to say is going to be an example of how I was probably the worst at this of anybody in the room. If you go back a decade in my life and you were to ask me to give a message on prayer, my approach to this would be a lot different and I would have a lot more stuff you should do to connect with God. And here's how you do it like me. And over the past 10 years, the Lord has broken me down in a way that has changed everything in the atmosphere of his presence in who he is and how I get to be his son, how I get to approach him. Not that I'm good at it, but that I'm just me and he really does love me that much that he's already waiting for me. So there's this passage that Paul writes in the book of Philippians. And I find it so funny every time I come to it, I get the context of it, but just in what he does, he pretty much is saying, like, if you think you have confidence and how good you are at this and that, I have more self-confidence, or I should because of how religious I've been as a Jewish person before he meets Jesus. And so he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I love that. But I took myself 10 years back and I rewrote as a template what Paul said there. I'm not rewriting the Bible. I'm just using it as a template for this example. And this is what I would have said 10 years ago. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their spiritual getting it rightness, I have more. Reading my Bible eight days a week, of the people of quiet times, of the tribe of journaling and doing multiple devotionals a day, of being a Christian correctly of all of the tryhards. In regard to the laws I made up for myself, a perfect follower. (laughs) It's been a tough life. As, As for zeal, Waking up earlier than all of you and doing a lot of spiritual things. As for righteousness based on the law, so self-righteous. I would have come in here with my stacks of books and all the devotionals I'm doing right now and my 10 easy steps to hear the Lord better and all this different stuff that I was constantly complicating my faith with to beat you over the head with, right? And just... Before I go any farther, I need you to really, every single person in this room, hear me. I am not saying that having a quiet time with the Lord is a bad thing. And I'm not saying that you should stop reading your Bible. Please don't. And I'm not saying that devotionals and time with the Lord, all of these things are in any way anything but extremely valuable when we put them in the place to use them as the tools they're intended for to connect us deeper with Him. I never understood that they were the tools. I made the jump that this is how I get God's attention enough that when I pray, he hears me because look how much stuff I read this morning. And when I'm with other people that didn't do that this morning, (laughs) how's your walk with God going? (laughs) Let me recommend a book to you. Anyway, but Paul at the end says, but whatever against me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. And the loss I experienced and how I'd approached him for most of my life. I'm 36, so this was up into my mid-20s. It was all me doing enough and pulling all my stuff enough to God because of all the work I'm doing to get him to engage with me. And on the other side of this, and maybe I'm going to speak to something that you don't want to touch, 
But I've talked about this before, and I don't talk about it because it's just something to keep telling you about. But it's because God has used the deepest pain of my life to change me toward him. And I would rather have all that pain that I'm still working through than have had an easy run of just stacking my books. And so I have dealt, as I talked about last time I spoke, with a lot of really difficult anxiety and depression and stuff inside my brain that honestly, before the Lord broke me down 10 years ago, my prayer was the same prayer every single day of my life from the time I was a kid, which was, God, please heal my brain. Please fix me. I'm hurting on a level that I don't know how to even talk to my parents about. I don't know where to go with this. I didn't ask for this. Fix me. And that was my whole prayer life. And then when I realized that I could just do a bunch of stuff, I thought that the stuff was going to fix me because I worked hard enough to get God's attention to do it finally. So then a couple years ago, I had a full just like landslide of a situation that ended up with me talking to a therapist to try to dig my way out of how dark it got. When we sing brought me back to life, he brought me back to life. I don't, I'm not just saying that. I was a shell. I was dying on the inside and I didn't know where to go and I felt so alone. And so I'm sitting there talking to this guy every week and the funny thing about a counselor or a therapist is they ask you questions that you're like, why are you asking me this? What was it like when your dad taught you to ride a bike? You're like, I don't know, I don't remember. He's like, interesting. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, he's like, it's because you don't know how to ride a bike. And I'm like, or you don't remember how you learned to ride a bike. And I'm like, how did you tie that together? And I'm kidding, but he started digging into my faith. And I start telling him, like, well, I read all these things, and I have all this plan, and I pray like this, and it's always the same, and da-da-da-da. And he's sitting there, and he smiles at me. He's a Christian guy, and he smiles at me. He goes, JJ, you're not spending time with God. And I was like, dude, I am already as anxious as I could be all of the time. So whatever you're about to say is not going to help that situation. I already know that, and I came here for you to help me with this. And he goes, you are trying to manipulate God. And I said, sir, I am paying you. <clears throat> and I'm leaving. <clears throat> and he was always there. Last night when I gave this message, it felt like maybe some of the stuff I was touching on, people did not want me to say. Kind of got a little cold in the room as I went on. I'm not worried about that because I would rather dig something up inside of your life with him than you like me. And maybe if you can take one step back off of how things are going in your prayer life, how things are going in the way you're approaching him, are you digging into who he is and the richness of what he has for you? Or are you trying to manipulate him by how much you're doing? Are you trying to manipulate him by the way that you're praying? Did you solve it? Because I can't solve it. Only Jesus can solve it. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he believes in me will never thirst. If I'm coming to him with all my stuff that I do, I wonder why it is that I'm always so hungry. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But for 25 years of my life, if I'm banging on the same door, saying the same thing, and never listening for an answer, just reading more, then what does that scripture really mean to me? What does that scripture really mean to you? When this guy said to me that I was trying to manipulate God, it unraveled everything I knew up to that point about my relationship with God. And not only was I struggling with everything else going on inside my head, but now I didn't even know how to get to the one source that I knew at some point and some place could help me. And he said to me at one point, JJ, I've worked with a lot of people for a long time and I've never ever seen a strike of lightning hit someone in the head and they're just healed of some sort of mental situation. And I hold out faith that he's going to do it in my life still because I know he can. And we're going to look at a lot of examples of just how good he is. But I hear what he's saying. And rather than 
pace with the Lord and the timing and the reason for all of this that I'm going through to learn and gain with him, my response was to walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away and do my own thing to get back to where he's already waiting for me. So he puts a challenge to me, and this is where we're going to go today. I have three points, because that's how you write a message, that I pulled, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right? I pulled out of what I've gained and what I've learned in my prayer life, in my relationship with God, getting completely unraveled, and my desire is that maybe this would move your heart, as good as you think it's going. I'm not saying that maybe you already are there, and that's awesome, and I want that for every single one of us. That's why I'm saying this. But where are we missing the mark of him being our father in the name of getting stuff done for him so that he'll be our father? You always have that, but it's so easy to go the other way. So this guy says to me, hey, since you are only trying to manipulate God, let's try something. Tomorrow, don't get up and have a quiet time. And I was like, dude, like, I can't, what are you doing to me? This is already hard enough with everything you're asking me all the time. He's like, don't, don't read your Bible tomorrow. It's like being in a haunted house. I was like, How you, why are you saying this stuff to me? And I fought him and I fought him. Like, but then God won't, if I don't get it done on my end, how is God going to ever heal me? And if he, this is, the only, this is my only way out. And he's like, this has never worked. Your pattern, your formula with God has never fixed it. I'm saying that to you too. So I didn't the next morning. I got up. And I drank coffee and I just did whatever I wanted. And it was quiet. And the thing is, I had gone from, at one point in my life, I remember being like a freshman in high school and reading the Bible for the first time with a guy that inspired me in my youth group. And I loved it. And I would wake up in the morning and I'd want to spend time with God and learn and grow. And it had gone from that to this place where I really didn't even like doing all this stuff I was doing every morning. I was just doing it because I thought I had to get it done for God's sake. Kate put it this way yesterday, my kids love to spend time with me. They want all of my time and they need me. And right now they're young and it's fun and they think I'm cool. And that's awesome. And that's the heart we should have with God. But when I was 16 and my mom would be like, you can't go out with your friends tonight. It's Mother's Day. I would be like, because this is a rule you made, I won't go out with my friends and just not enjoy it. That's where we get with God. In our own set of rules, like I said, my own set of rules. Where are you on that scale with him? Do you like to pray? Are you bored praying? Are you sick of praying? Have you prayed enough prayers and it didn't work, so it must just not work? Then listen to these three things that I've learned. The first thing I've learned, and I know we all have heard this a million times, but there truly is power in prayer. And we hear about prayer warriors, and we hear about the power of prayer. It's just pray harder, right? Well, no. Look at this story in the book of 1 Kings. Elijah sets himself up. He makes a competition. It's like a competition. It's a God-off between him and the prophets of Baal, whose God is real. And Elijah sets himself up to fail unless God is real as best as he possibly can. He, puts, he builds an altar, puts the wood on the altar, and he tells the prophets of Baal, pour a bunch of water on the wood. So they do it. He's like, do it again. So they do it again. Let's do it one more time. Soaks it completely down. And the one thing I know is that fire has a really hard time lighting when it's wet. And then he prays this prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also, bonus, licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. The power in that prayer is not that Elijah says, God, you got to prove me right so I look stronger than all of these 250 prophets of Baal. Make me look good. He says, God, 
bring fire from heaven that I can't make happen so that every single person in this situation gives you glory, so that you get the glory. The power in this is that I want to see you move for your glory, not anything to do with me other than that I'm here to serve you, and I followed what you said because I can hear your voice. The power in prayer is, and, and it's like, well, yeah, duh, it's God. It's the power God has. I can't do it. But boy, have I stepped up to the plate and been like, let me pray. I'll get him. I'll heal him. God, you can hear me because I'm praying loud and I'm moving my head. The power is in the prayer. And then nothing happens, right? And it's easy to go that direction. That was my Dwayne The Rock Johnson impression. Um, but, but you just, it could be as simple as you have the power. You're the one. In your name, Jesus, do what you will. There's a powerful prayer. I picked one of the least powerful seeming stories about Jesus and the miracles he did because this is the guy that conquered death. It's hard to beat that one, right? <laughs> Lazarus' family comes and says, he died, can you bring him back? He's like, yeah, and he does it. But I picked the story of the man with the withered hand because that would be an easy one to pass by. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. That's the Pharisees. They're the book stackers like I was. So that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The reason I pull that out, obviously there's a lot in there about the Pharisees and how they're trying to pin Jesus in about when you can and can't do this and that. But the thing I love about the power in that, that's a very powerful story because I've never been able to make someone with a withered hands, hand unfold. And no one in this room has been able to do that either on your own, right? No one's ever been able to do that, right? Okay, okay. We got one girl here who's done it. Very good. Uh, <laughs> her parents are like, don't raise your, it's fine. It's great. I would have done that. Um, <clears throat> but the power in that story is that in the midst of him engaging with everything else, his heart is with this guy who has a real problem. Not all these problems these people have made up for him. And it's this casual for him. He's like, hey, stretch your hand out. And his hand comes back. And he's like, anyway, yeah, I can do miracles when I want because I'm Jesus. And this guy's like, my hand, like you've just healed me that easily. And I say that because I think we can overcomplicate the power of prayer when his goodness and his heart towards you is that in a word, your hand can stretch out. And so if you've been here a few years, you've heard this story maybe because I shared this because this is a testimony from my own life. This isn't something I heard. A couple years ago, right before Thanksgiving, my family was moving from our house we were living in to another house. And I was moving everything out of our basement because we have four kids with a lot of toys. So I spent a lot of nights moving stuff out of the basement into the garage because we have a lot of toys that they don't play with. And, and <clears throat> I came in one night and I was like, oh, Kate, like my hands are really sore. And she's a very smart, smarter than I am person and normally says the thing I need. And she's like, well, maybe you should stop for the night because you've been moving stuff all night. Take a break and I'm sure it'll be fine in the morning. So take a break, wake up the next day, and they're still sore. And then a week later, they're worse. Then a week after that, it's worse, and it's moving into my arms. And we had like a four or five-month-old baby, and I didn't trust my hands to hold my son anymore because the pain was so bad. And I was having a hard time driving, holding my steering wheel. I couldn't play guitar during worship anymore. And then a couple weeks after that, it moved into my feet. I was having a hard time walking, chasing my kids. But I have four kids, I have a family, I have a job, I had to keep going, but the pain was just increasing. And one of the busiest times in my entire life is during the Christmas season because of all that we do here at the church. And we were in the interim time when this happened, and so we were doing our church services at a hotel. And so we had to go do all the work to set that up. And I literally couldn't lift anything. Couldn't even lift my own baby, so I'm certainly not gonna be putting a stage together. And my feet get so bad when I'm at the hotel that day that I just fall down onto my knees and I just have to go home because I'm useless. And everyone I knew had prayed for me. 
And I had prayed day after day, moment after moment, because the pain was unceasing. So it was always right in front of me, like, God, just help me. Like, I have so much going on. Can you just do it for me? Do I need to read more books to get you to do this for me? And nothing changed. And I was, that Christmas, I was singing the Too Good to Not Believe song. And that's all about, like, he'll heal bodies. Don't you tell me he can't do it. He'll break addiction. Don't you tell me he can't do it. And I stood in that room on behalf of everyone else that I wanted to see have that miracle when I wasn't experiencing for myself because I knew he could still do it even though I had lost the belief that maybe it was going to happen for me. Don't we so often do that? I'll pray for you because it's going to happen for you, but that's not going to happen for me. So we get back into the regular scene after Christmas and we're walking into church and my wife goes, hey, why don't you go to Pastor Kathy's healing prayer after the service? And I was like, I did not think of that. I have given up, really. And I had gone to the doctor and they gave me these arm braces, these wrist braces I had to wear all the time. He gave me all this medicine to take, nothing was helping. I was sticking hand warmers in my shoes and my very cool, super gnarly brown wrist guards because the heat helped a little. And I go over, and Pastor Kathy had been praying for me for months and, or for this whole time, and she's like, hey, come on over, let's pray, you, me, and this other person that goes to our church. And I walk up, and before I can say anything, I've never met this woman in my life, she goes, something's wrong with your hands. And I was like, yes. And she's like, and something's wrong with your feet. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, and something's wrong inside your mind. And I was like, okay, hang on now. Hold on. How deep are we going here, Lord? But it was like the Holy Spirit was like, look, look, she knows before you even got here. And she prays a prayer that had power in it that was exact, but it was the, hey, stretch out your hand. It wasn't this overwhelming situation. Prays for me. And I think I was just like, yeah, God, please, like, whatever, if you can, if you hear me. I walk away, we finish up the day, and it's an hour later, I didn't even think about it. And I'm driving home and I'm like, hey, I'm gripping my steering wheel. That's new. And I'm driving and I'm pushing the gas, I'm like, that doesn't hurt my foot. And I'm doing this calculation of what this could possibly mean. I get home and I say to my wife, hey, uh, I think God healed me. And she just smiles, but I'm very skeptical because this has been a rough deal. And I go down in my basement, and we had just moved, so there's a flat screen TV in the basement, and 24 hours before, I couldn't dream of lifting that up. And I just picked it up and looked it in the face, and I was like, God healed me. There's the power, yeah, yeah. All the glory is his, right? There's the power. I didn't even think about it after it happened. It was so subtle in the fact that it would be the, hey, stretch out your hand, and I literally did. There's power in prayer when we position and posture ourselves toward him. I didn't even have that much faith in that moment, but he's that good. It's not anything I'm going to stack up to get to work for me. The next thing that I've grown in in my faith, and this word gets real tricky for people in prayer, is intimacy. We're going from power to intimacy. Oswald Chambers said, beware if in personal testimony, you have to hark back and say, once so many years ago, I was saved. If you are walking in the light, there is no harking back. The past is transfused into the present wonder of communion with God. Are you in the middle of a transfused communion with God right now? When you go to spend time with him, however that looks in your life, is it a communion with him? Is it a depth? Is it a closeness? Elijah, again, in 1 Kings, God calls him out, and he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. We've seen fire before in Elijah's life, right? but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. This has unraveled. This is the place where I've been unraveled to wait on the still, small voice, and that is the time I spend with the Lord. Not to do with God, to be with God. To wait to hear him. And if I don't hear him, know that I will. 
That's how this whole message came about. One night I was like, God, I'm going to talk about prayer. What do you want me to do? And it was the scope. Talk about how your body got healed because of the power of prayer. Talk about where I'm taking you in those still small moments. And I won't spoil the end, but I got one more for you. Jesus. I always want to live my life, and I don't do it well, but I always want to use how he did anything as the template for how I do anything. It says in Mark, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Okay, so Jesus always got away. He spends a lot of time in the Gospels getting out of all the people and crowds and situations to be with his father. But when I was reading this and I was getting this all prepared, I was like, desolate place. It's like, Holy Spirit, what does that look like for me? And he said, a desolate place now is a place where you don't bring your phone. A desolate place right now is where you don't put your headphones on so you can listen to worship while you're spending time with me. A desolate place is where you don't bring your iPad and your computer and all your books and everything else and everything else and everything else and you just sit and you just be with me and you wait for my still small voice and you like and grow in learning the desolation of not filling it up with everything else. Let me fill it up. Jesus said that he only did or said what he heard his father say or do, right? There's an intimacy that I want to grow in to the point that even if I'm at the store, even if I'm driving, I'm hearing him and operating in every moment with him. That's so trivial, right? Just hang on. This has like torn my heart up. Pastor John, we went, I went to the teaching team with my message and he was like, one of the most intimate moments with the Lord is when Jesus goes to the garden. I'm like, yeah, that's right. So I start going into the story. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So Jesus immediately removes himself, even from the friends he brings. And he took Peter and two, the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So please surround me right now because I need you more than ever, friends. And I said, stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. As a father, the picture for me of my eight-year-old son falling on his face, crying out for me because of whatever situation is in front of him. Hurts my heart in a way that I can't put into words. And Jesus, the perfect one, the king of kings who conquered death, when Kate and I were talking about this story, she said, Jesus did not pray perfect prayers in this moment. He didn't say, God, I can't wait to go to the cross. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for calling me to be the one to endure this pain. His heart was set on doing that because he knew. But in that moment, he was a son to a father asking, God, Dad, can it not be this? Because this hurts more than, it, it already hurts more than I can bear as a human being. Why is it hard for us in such less circumstances than that to be intimate enough to fall on our face in front of our Father knowing that he would be there to grab us? Why do we always, God, it's a hard situation. Can you help me? Instead of like, God, I got nothing left and I need you. I have no answer. I have no plan. I have no way. And it hurts more than I can get to. And that intimacy of his drawing you in would be exactly where he's waiting for you. I have four kids, as I've said 30 times in this message now. Really proud of them. I love them so much. I got three kids, eight, four, and two, that always want to tell me everything. 
My two-year-old is still learning, and yesterday he said to me, you are peanut butter right now. I know. I know I am. And my daughter, who wants me to be the lion, she's right here. And my eight-year-old will get in the car, and he's like, all right, let me break this down for you. Today I get to school. Me and Milo walk in the building. He heads this way. I go, you know, now when I'm saying I go left, and I'm like, okay. And that's just like, he wants every detail of his life in my life, and I love that, and I'm here for it. But Milo, our six-year-old, is much like the way I was as a kid, just going in his own way, just doing his own thing, getting stuff from him. Like, Milo, how's your day at school? He's like, I don't remember. I'm like, well, you're still at school. He's like, not my problem. Okay. (laughs) And he's a very deep thinker. He's a brilliant kid. We're driving to church today, and he's like, Daddy, (laughs) how many 60s are in 500 seconds? I'm like trying to add it up. I'm terrible at math. I'm like, uh, how many sixes are in 50? Uh, and finally had to give up and he figured it out. But Milo also is obsessed, obsessed with Mario, the video game. Milo lives seven-eighths of his life in the Mushroom Kingdom. Okay? It's gotten to the point that he just started first grade and he came home with a paper and his name was circled on the top because he had written Mario. And my wife was like, Milo, I know they're close enough, which is a real benefit to you that we didn't see coming, but you got to write Milo on your papers. Your teacher doesn't know who Mario is. (laughs) I love Milo, and I learn so much about how God sees me through my kids, but I learn a lot from Milo because a lot of the time toward God is the way Milo can be with me of like, I'm going to go play on my own. I'm good. You got three kids that really want all your time. I would love to have some time alone. Or like Milo, like three weeks later, he's like, a kid was really mean to me. I'm like, what? Why didn't you tell us? He's like, I don't know. Well, what's his name? I'm going to your school. (laughs) But a couple weeks ago, as I said, I come here early on Saturdays, and so I was getting ready. I was finishing lunch, and I had to get out the door, and I was running late, and just in the rush of being a person that's just not seeing anything else going on. I just got to go do what I need to do. And right when I was about to stand up to clean the dishes and do all that, Milo comes over with his Nintendo Switch, and he's like, Daddy, I just beat this level. And I was like, that's so cool, Milo. And he's like, it was really hard. I was like, that's awesome, dude. And I did all this, and he starts explaining all the stuff he did, and I look him in his eyes, and this means more to him than anything else that he could talk to me about from his whole week. And I realized I need to stay right here. And so I look him in the eyes and he shows me and we talk about it, we talk about it. I'm gonna be late and I do not care because Milo's giving me a moment. And then he's done and he goes back. And I felt like the Lord said to me, that is how I'm always waiting for you. As trivial as you think it is, as pointless as you think this decision or that, what you do in your day, I always want to hear it. I want to be there with you. I want to know it. You are my Milo, and you all are God's Milo in that way. It doesn't matter to him what it is. He wants to go deeper with you on what it is that you want to talk about. And so often we wait till it's either too far gone of a situation to cry out for him or just pass him by in the morning. Oh, yes, your mercies are new. Thank you, God, and move on. And so we've done power and we've done intimacy. Where would we go next? Someone said to me, I don't know how you put these three together and made sense, but you did it, which I'm glad that it makes sense. But the last place I want to go is desperation. And the thing about it is we think of desperation as think of the worst situation you've been in where it's like, we need to pray right now, right? But as I was looking through the Gospels, pretty much every story of anybody that approaches Jesus is in a place of desperation. And I think if we're really real with ourselves, we're all kind of always in a place of desperation. It's easy to shield ourselves, to go play on our own, to be the one with the power to punch through it. But man, am I desperate for more of the Lord in literally every place that I am alive. I'm desperate for him in the way I'm a husband. I'm desperate for him in the way I'm a father. I'm desperate for him in the way that I'm a pastor. I'm desperate for him in the way that I do anything, how I think of things, how I see people, how I do and operate in my life. 
You got people coming that need healing. Lazarus is dead. The man that's possessed with demons doesn't even recognize how desperate his situation is, but Jesus does, and he's the one that can do it anyway and digs him out. And the story I go to all the time is the father that comes with the son who has the mute spirit and he throws the kid, the spirit throws the kid down and he foams at the mouth and he seizes up and he gets rigid and all of this horrible stuff is happening to his son. And his response is maybe the most desperate prayer you could pray, I believe but help me in my unbelief. I believe but help me in my unbelief, God. I wanna see every person in this room healed and I'm desperate for that, but help me in my unbelief that that's actually what you want to do. And that's actually who you can be. It's easy to dress it up and it's easy to have the power and it's easy, it's not. He is the one that has it easy in these moments, not us. And that's why we need him because he's the only one that can do it. I recently was praying and said to the Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And he's like, or you could just believe it. And I was like, uh, okay. I've graduated to a place I don't want to go. Just kidding. Um, anyway, um, this last part is a story out of the gospel. And it ties really interestingly into my life. And so I'm going to kind of parallel it to close this message. And it also captures the power of who Jesus is, the intimacy of what we have with him, whether we recognize that or not, and the desperation of a person who needs him. So I'm gonna read you the story first and I'm gonna tell you my story with it. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. Man, we can look for a solution in every other direction and keep suffering. We can keep going this way. I did this a long time and I can keep suffering or I can turn it this way and hand the suffering to the only person that can take it. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. That's what happened to me with my hands and my feet. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, and this right here is the best prayer, I think. Here it is. If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. He has the power. I need to get as close as I can to him to touch him, intimacy. I'm desperate enough that I'm gonna go ahead and do it. I'm not gonna wait any longer to let Jesus be Jesus in my life and get as close to him as I can. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples, always so helpful, said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Like, thanks, guys. And he looked around to see who had done it. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Came in fear and trembling, told him the whole truth, giving him the glory. That's what that is. Not afraid of him. That's the fear and the trembling of, God, you really are this good. Malia, if you want to come up, we'll finish this up. So I've told you now a bit of what's happened in my life, and things got real dark, kind of just blacked out in my life for a while. And I stopped doing all this rigid stuff that I thought was going to make me better and make my relationship with God what he wanted. And I heard one morning in the open space I had because I wasn't doing all this stuff, hey, the Holy Spirit says to me, make your cup of coffee and come sit at the counter with me. And I said, no, because I had prayed long enough and you didn't do anything about it. And I spent enough time with you and you didn't do anything about it. So I'm not, I'm not gonna come sit down with you. So the next morning I wake up, hey, make your cup of coffee and come sit with me at the counter. I told you yesterday, I'm not going to do that with you. And two days turned into like nine, ten months of this. Denying the invitation over and over again that the Holy Spirit was extending to me.
And the thing about an invitation from the Lord is that he is your father and he loves you and he'll wait. But that voice gets quieter when you keep saying no. When I say to my kids, I'm right here, let's play, and they keep running the other direction, I want to chase them down, but if they still don't want to play with me when I get there, I'm not going to force them to do that. So speed through this. I keep, (laughs) it keeps getting worse, shockingly, as I'm not taking the invitation. And finally, one morning, I'm so desperate. Actually, it was the night before this morning. I'm so desperate, and I say to the Holy Spirit, okay, fine. Fine. You win. I had such a bad attitude. I'll wake up and I'll make my cup of coffee and I'll sit with you at the counter tomorrow with that attitude. He's like, all right, see you in the morning. And I go to sleep. And have you ever had some plan (laughs) for the next day and someone's really excited that you're going to do whatever you're going to do and they're waiting for you to wake up and you wake up and they're like, all right, let's go. Come on. We got to get up. We got to go do whatever we're planning. That's, I have never heard the Holy Spirit this clearly in my life as I did this morning. But I wake up and literally as soon as I open my eyes, the Holy Spirit's like, all right, go make your coffee. I was like, oh yeah, okay. This better work. So I grumble my way downstairs, make coffee, because I'm weak and I can't even just do this without drinking coffee. And I'm like waiting for it to finish. I'm like, oh, I should grab my phone in case I need to look up a Bible verse that I hear. And the Holy Spirit's like, do not bring your phone. Whatever you do, do not bring that anywhere near what I have for you. Okay? Well, I should get my iPad then, because what if I need to take notes of what I hear from you? You're not going to need that. Don't bring your iPad. Well, I should at least get a Bible, an analog Bible. That would be useful. Like, why don't you just be obedient to what I'm saying and get the coffee and go sit down? And I say, well, I only want to do this for half an hour, because I have other things I have going on this morning. And I didn't hear anything back on that one. I'm surprised I wasn't like, wow, you are extremely unpleasant. Forget the invitation. I've waited long enough, and this is what I get. I sit down, I do exactly what he says. Sit down, grab the coffee. And it was almost like because I was finally obedient enough to just follow his direction and be listening close enough for that still small voice, whether my attitude was right or not, he said, okay, now go grab a Bible. Because I want you to, I hear this a lot in the Holy Spirit, like a specific verse to go look up. Go look up Mark 5.28. I'm like, oh, I just said I would bring a Bible. Now I'm sitting down. So I go get the Bible, open it up, And it's in this story of the woman with the issue of blood. And it says, it's the verse 32, just so you guys throw the right one up. And he looked around to see who had done it. And I read that and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This this means nothing. This is the most pointless sentence in the whole passage. And he looked around to see who had done it. I made this whole thing up. I heard that in my own head. What am I doing? And as soon as I had taken that last stab at the situation, the Holy Spirit says, read this story. And I read through the whole thing that I just read you. And then it was as if in a vision, I was the woman chasing after Jesus and reaching for him. And I'm not even aware of my surroundings anymore. I'm over my cup of coffee with my ribs sticking into the counter when I realize I'm physically reaching out. And I'm just saying and crying, if I could just touch you, Jesus, if I could just touch you, Jesus, you'd make me well. If I could just touch you, Jesus, you'd make me well. And he says, if, he's like, you're doing it right now. I've been waiting for you to stop doing anything else and just touch me. I've been standing here this whole time asking for you to show up. And I just sat there crying and just with my hand out, just touching the hem of his garment. And it was the sweetest moment I've ever had with him. And when I went back to that, he looked around to see who had done it. I realized that what he was showing me was that he'd been looking for me, waiting for me to be the one to do it. And so maybe this leaves you with a lot more thoughts and questions about how you're going to approach wherever you go with him. I want you to think about and go where he leads you. My, this is the last thing I'll say and then I'll pray for everybody because I think I should finish a prayer message with a prayer. But um, I have a friend whose name is Cordero, Cord, shout out Cord. He's very good at jujitsu. 
this is important, this is real. I woke up in the, at three in the morning the other night and I could not get back to sleep and the Holy Spirit just started talking to me about this message and he said, what is it in martial arts that is the same in prayer? I was like, I don't know, I don't do martial arts. And he's like, you know someone who does, so ask Cord. So I go to him and I ask and we have lunch and he's the coolest guy. And honestly, he preached a message to me. I was like, you should come up and do this, this is amazing. But he said a ton of really cool stuff that tied together. And the thing that he said that I wanna leave you with is there's white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt. And it takes 12 years normally in jujitsu to get a black belt. It's a commitment. And he goes, JJ, what do you think is the hardest belt to achieve? And I was like, the black belt, it takes 12 years of your life. And he goes, everybody says that, but it's the white belt because it's the belt where you actually have to step out and do it. And there's fear and there's unknown and there's uncertainty. And then there's, all right, like if I want this, I'm gonna have to get in this. He's like a black belt is just a guy who never stopped getting the white belt. And I say that because wherever you land with prayer and wherever you land with Jesus and wherever you are today, the opportunity right now is to go for the white belt, meaning that you peel off everything else that's gotten in your way of reaching out and touching Jesus, however that looks in your life. And that as we grow in our prayer life and go for that black belt, it's not something that is about achieving a certain place. It's about you already have all of it. You just have to take that step into the actual place he's calling So I wanna pray, I just felt like the thing is, I wanna pray, it's obviously, I can't manufacture what happened for me in that moment, but I wanna pray that moment for each of you. That if it's in this room right now, or it's this week, or it's a year from now, or wherever he lands with you, however that looks, you get that moment where you say, if I could just touch you, Jesus, and he says, you are, here I am. Jesus, I pray in this room right now, for all of these people, in all of these places, thank you that we all, you have made individually. And so the experience with you is always different for each one of us. But at the core, you are the same. And you are good. And you have good for us. And I just pray, Lord, a simple prayer. That wherever anybody in this room is, whether they're desperate or they're looking for a deeper place, or they need power that they can't make happen in their own life, or anything else that you can only get to, Jesus, I pray that every person would have this moment and however you'd put that together, that invitation, that beckoning. And if it's this long, difficult process, I made it, and maybe people are already in that place thinking through that, or today there's an invitation, or in this moment, Lord, I pray that people would taste and see who you really are right here and now, and it would unravel everything else built up. I pray, Jesus, that we would find ourselves enjoying and loving our time with you, our, our time in your presence and all that you have for us. And Lord, that nothing would hinder us from stepping out into that first step, like Cord said. The most difficult place is just to actually engage in that place. Help us to know and hear your voice to engage in that place with you, Jesus, and nothing else and not be satisfied by anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.